afternoon, this is Dr. Dan Guerra, and you listen to Authentic Biochemistry Podcast. This is uh, part two uh, lecture today because it's the 1st of March, 2023, and I gave you a lecture, I dropped one this morning. So we're just going to continue on the path that we were um, walking along. So T-cell activity is mediated by MAP kinases and phosphatidylinositol 1,3 bis kinase pathways, but also very significantly cyclic AMP and the phosphatidylinositol trisphosphate calcium and other metabolic intermediate pathways, including the utilization of fatty acyl coas, glutamate, glutamine, and fructose 6-phosphate, not to mention the ratio of NADH to NAD, the availability of NADPH, and the whole succinate dehydrogenase circuit. Now, those are just some of the components of T-cell activation. So, as you know, cyclic AMP is produced by adenylate cyclase. You also remember, I think two lectures ago, that that enzyme is a 12 transmembrane spanning enzyme. Now, the reason I told you it could be moved around in the cell is because it's moved around on membrane lipid rafts. So this isn't a soluble polypeptide. It's always associated with membrane lipids within a membrane complex. So I wanted to make sure that was clear. And you know, again, what the reaction of adenylate cyclase uh, catalyzes. It's ATP to 3 prime, 5 prime cyclic AMP plus pyrophosphate. You also know that there's a phosphodiesterase that can rapidly degrade nationally synthesized cyclic AMP. And that reaction, of course, is hydrolysis of that phosphodiester bond, right? And then you're, the product of that reaction would be 5' prime adenosine monophosphate, which could go back into nucleotide, particularly purine nucleotide metabolism. Now, CYCLIC-AMP has multiple functions, including the activation of cyclic nucleotide-gated ion channels and the very important EPAC, which is exchange protein activated by cyclic AMP. All of that is in T cells. Also remember in T cells, very significantly for the activation, cyclic AMP utilizes protein kinase A. Now, you know that's a very common serine threonine kinase. And that enzyme actually has two catalytic and two regulatory subunits. So cyclic AMP can also be inhibitory. It can inhibit its own protein kinase A mediated activity and its own synthesis. Given the right molar concentration as an allosteric regulator. Also, cyclic AMP can be elevated directly by utilizing an organic compound 
known as Forskolin, or for short, just FSK. So also, I want you to understand, so we're going to talk about Forskolin in a moment. I want you to also understand that the levels of cyclic AMP can be regulated by phosphodiesterase inhibition, also by prostaglandin E2, and adenosine, all of which can result in a proximal suppression of T-cell proliferation. So the anti-proliferative effects of cyclic AMP within cells of the immune system have been well described, and we know that it centers around the JAK-STAT pathway. For example, free adenosine, which is a cyclic AMP activator, can suppress T-cell proliferation via STAT5, but not JAK3. So there's a lot of specificity there. <clears throat> so more about forskolin. It is known as a labdane diterpenoid is isolated from a coleus plant, and it has a role as a plant metabolite as well. It is a protein kinase A agonist, and of course, an adenylate cyclase agonist, right? Because adenylate cyclase synthesizes cyclic AMP, which can fire PKA, okay? So, it's involved in platelet aggregation inhibition. And as a labdane diterpenoid acetate ester, it has a heterotricyclic structure. So it's a trial. And you could, another way of describing it is a cyclic ketone or as a tertiary alpha hydroxy ketone. I'm going to give you the uh, IUPAC name just so you know it. 3R, 4AR, 5S, 6S, 6AS, 10S, 10AR, 10BS, 3, ethenyl, 610, 10B, trihydroxy, 34A, 7, 7, 10A, pentamethyl, 1 oxo, 566A, 8, 9, 10, hexahydro, 2H, benzo, chromine 5 eel acetate. Okay. Aren't you glad we just called for skullin? Again, very potent activator of adenylate cyclase 2, significant to our discussions here for osteosarcoma, and it is strongly synergistic with a G-protein stimulatory alpha subunit. In fact, forskolin binds to one of the interfaces between the first and second cytoplasmic domain. It shows an enhanced selectivity for the adenylate cyclose, cyclase isoform 2. Okay. I think that's all I really want to say about the chemistry of it for now. We can get back to this later. I like, I like talking about the chemistry of these compounds. Pretty specific for activating... Uh, Adenylate uh, uh, cyclase 2, because <clears throat> of the way it fits into the uh, enzyme. Now, go back to the JBC paper. In T cell activation proliferation, is a contemporaneous discourse 
between at least two signaling pathways. The Jack stat, and that's the Jack 3 stat 5 specifically, and the cyclic AMP mediated cascade. So the adenylate cyclase activator for scolin jacks up, obviously, intracellular cyclic AMP levels and concomitantly reduces proliferation of human T cells via the inhibition of cell cycle regulatory genes that does not include progressing to apoptosis, rather to the lack of cell division, sensu stricto. Okay. So FSK treatment of T cells inhibits interleukin-2 induced STAT5AB tyrosine and serine phosphorylation. And because of that, nuclear translocation and DNA binding activity at a chromatin retailering site. So, for scolin treatment, also uncouples interleukin 2 induced association of it, of it meaning interleukin 2, to its 2R receptor beta and gamma chain. Consequently, that will block. JAK3 activation. So for scolin-treated cells results in elevated serine phosphorylation of JAK3, but not STAT5. And that suggests that for scolin negatively regulates JAK3 via protein kinase A. Because protein kinase A serine phosphorylates and functionally inactivates the JAK3 kinase. Okay, now you got that covered up. Now I'm going to tell you a little bit more about G-protein linked receptors here because it's about cyclic AMP. So G-protein linked receptors, you need a second messenger which can be generated in the cell in response to the first message. Many endocrine hormones affect their targets through G-protein coupled receptors. You know this. You have multiple subtypes. GSs and GQ have been most described most recently here, actually, on the podcast. So G-protein-coupled receptors, you have the subtype GS. S stands for stimulatory. And it increases the production of the second messenger cyclic AMP. Okay? So the usual downstream target of cyclic AMP when you hook it up to the hormone action, is an enzyme, of course, which is named PKA. So protein kinase A are going to obviously phosphorylate a whole slew of targets. We just talked about the whole Jack Stat series, right? Yes, we did. Now, there are other important hormones which work through an increase in cyclic AMP by activating adenylate cyclase. Some isoforms, not all, and sometimes all of them, depending on the cell. Now, what are these other hormonal pathways which increase adenylate cyclase activity and therefore increase the concentration of cyclic AMP, the secondary messenger? Well, <laughs> quite a list. Adrenocorticotropic hormone, thyroid-stimulating hormone, follicle-stimulating hormone, luteinizing hormone, 
epinephrine, the beta receptors, which we've talked about, parathyroid hormone, antidiuretic hormone, also known as ADH, and even glucagon. Okay? Now you've got more um, information. Now when glucagon binds to its receptor, remember glucagon is going to be triggered from the alpha cells of the pancreas upon a lack of circulating glucose at the correct concentration. So glucagon is going to generate gluconeogenesis in the liver, right? Among other things, it's going to do that. Now, when glucagon binds to its receptor, which is in the membrane, it will activate via the GS protein, G-stimulatory protein, adenylate cyclase, generating cyclic AMP, which will actually cause a decrease in fructose 2,6-bisphosphate, which will then inhibit glycolysis because fructose 2,6-bisphosphate is an allosteric regulator of phosphofructokinase isoform 1. Okay? Now we'll give you a more detail about that whole system. So fructose phosphate is converted to fructose 2,6-bisphosphate by a multifunctional enzyme. That multifunctional enzyme, when it's synthetic for fructose 2,6-bisphosphate, is cis is 6-phosphofructo-2 kinase, or simply PFK2 kinase, right? And that will use ATP to phosphorylate fructose 6-phosphate to synthesize fructose 2-6-phosphate, the allosteric regulator of PFK1. There's also the back reaction, which is fructose 2-6-bisphosphatase, which just basically passes water over that bond, releasing inorganic phosphate. Regenerating fructose 6-phosphate, but removing the allosteric vector. Okay? So, you understand that system, how it works. You know that protein kinases will take a non-phosphorylated enzyme or protein and phosphorylate it. And that pro phosphoprotein phosphatases hydrolyze that phosphate. So, there are multiple protein kinases and protein phosphoprotein phosphatases. Okay? You're aware of that. Now let's plug in the real enzyme again. You have 6-phosphofructo-2 kinase A, also fructo-2,6-phosphatase B, multifunctional enzyme. When you phosphorylate that multifunctional enzyme, with PKA, utilizing ATP as substrate, you make the fructose, phosphofructokinase 2, FBPase 2, phosphoform, which can then be converted back to the non-phosphoform via a specific phosphoprotein phosphatase. Right? All right, so it just follows along to what we've been saying. Now I'm going to give you more serious detail about how this is going to carry out the control of glycolysis versus gluconeogenesis, okay? <clears throat> so glucagon activates adenylate cyclase through a G-stimulatory protein, making cyclic AMP. But also, 
epinephrine will bind to its beta-adrenergic receptor. Okay? That's a G-stimulatory protein tube. It's a different one because it's a beta-adrenergic receptor. And both epinephrine and glucagon can then ultimately cause the production of cyclic AMP via adenylate cyclase activation. Now, cyclic AMP will activate protein kinase A. Now, this is the way that glucagon and epinephrine together will co-inhibit hepatic glycolysis via a cyclic AMP-mediated decrease, again, in fructose 2,6-bisphosphate. How will that happen? That protein kinase A will phosphorylate that PFK2 FBPase 2, right? And the phosphoform then will not be active to be able to generate fructose 2,6-bisphosphate. In fact, it will cause fructose 2,6-bisphosphate to be removed, okay, by the bisphosphatase. So that's what glucagon and epinephrine combinatorial do in the hepatocyte. So rather than fructose 2,6-bisphosphate accumulating, it's converted back to fructose 6-phosphate because you have the phospho, PFK2, FBPase 2, right? Got that? So that means you're not going to activate PFK1 and you're not going to run glycolysis. Okay? That's what's happening in the hepatocyte. This is the allosteric control of the PFK1 locus in canonical glycolytic allosteric mediated control. Okay? Now, that hepatic enzyme, remember it is the PFK2 FBPase 2 has a kinase domain, which is proximal to the amino terminus, and the phosphatase domain, which is proximal to the carboxy terminus. And the phosphorylation site on the hepatic isozyme of PFK2-FBPase2 is proximal itself to the kinase domain. Okay? All right. Now, let's talk about the mechanism of accelerated hepatic glycolysis when the concentration of glucagon and epinephrine are low, but when insulin is high, okay? Now, insulin's going to bind to its receptor, and it's going to generate a kydase-mediated signaling response, which is going to cause the phosphodiesterase to take cyclic AMP and generate AMP. Okay. The same time, the kinase cascade from insulin will block PKA. So, because PKA is inhibited, you're going to have an increase in the dephosphorylated form of hepatic PFK2 FBPase2. Okay. Because of that, you will make higher levels a fructose 2,6-bisphosphate, which will allosterically activate phosphofructokinase 1, which will convert fructose 6-phosphate to fructose 1,6-bisphosphate, which then the rest of the glycolytic enzymes will be co-activated downstream such that pyruvic acid is generated. And pyruvate then can 
ultimately be used for, again, a couple of purposes. But most primarily, if glycolysis is functioning well in the liver, you can take pyruvate 2 acetyl-CoA via pyruvate dehydrogenase or 2 oxaloacetic acid, both these are mitochondrial enzymes, um, via the pyruvate carboxylase. Okay, remember all of that. That's all canonical control over now glycolysis. Remember, glycolysis is going to be on when insulin is high because you're going to be taking glucose and converting it to citrate. And then that citrate, right, in a, in a liver that is now glycolytic will also be lipogenic. The citrate will leave the mitochondrion, ATP citrate, lyase, remember, making now cytosolic acetyl-CoA and also acetic acid. But the acetyl-CoA will go on to make cholesterol and all of the different possible side routes in cholesterologenesis, including the ubiquinone pathway, the delicol pathway, right? Um, that will all be occurring in the liver, but also you're going to make fatty acids via fatty acid synthase. Via, of course, acetylcocarboxylase activation. Okay. Now, back to this production of, remember, when you have this protein kinase A activation via cyclic AMP. Now we're not talking about the liver. I want to talk about muscle, particularly the heart muscle. So in the heart muscle, cyclic AMP will be synthesized because of epinephrine binding to its beta-adrenergic receptor, GS-stimulating adenylate cyclase, cardiac. That will take the, fruct take the fructose, the PFK2, FBPase2, and it will phosphorylate it. And when it phosphorylates it, that PFK2, the isoform in the cardiac muscle, also in skeletal muscle, what's it going to do? It's actually going to convert, it's going to be active and it's going to convert fructose 6-phosphate to fructose 2,6-bisphosphate. So it will, make, it will promote phosphofructokinase 1, thus glycolysis. So you might say, wait a minute, I thought the PFK2, FBPase 2, when it's phosphorylated by protein kinase A, which is activated by cyclic AMP, which is activated by epinephrine and also glucagon in the liver, which shut the whole thing off. Yes, but not the PFK, FBPase 2 in the muscle. The isoform in the muscle is a bifunctional polypeptide, but its phosphorylation is at a different site on the polypeptide. In fact, the phosphorylation of the PFK2-FBPase2 in the heart muscle is phosphorylated smack dab in the phosphatase domain, therefore inhibiting the phosphatase. Okay, now you know the full story. All right, that's how cyclic AMP can promote glycolysis in the cardiac muscle and skeletal muscle via epinephrine, but it can inhibit fructose 2,6-bisphosphate production via PFK2-FBPase2 in the liver, right? Because they're doing, they have two totally different functions. The liver is, is going to shut down glycolysis and going to become gluconeogenic, but there's no gluconeogenic activity going on in the cardiac muscle and skeletal muscle, you see? 
So that enzyme, the isoform of that enzyme is differentially phosphorylated, but still utilizing the same cyclic AMP through PKA. Now, isn't that a really interesting way of understanding metabolism? Certainly should be. I think it is. And I'm a biochemist. So to, to make me um, be excited about something, um, yeah, you know, it takes quite a bit of biochemistry, right? So that, again, gives you the idea of the differential control. So in a larger picture, again, go back to 14,000 feet at Pike's Peak, the top of Pike's Peak, a little bit over 14,000 feet, of course. What does that mean? It means that simple control over adenylate cyclase will not mediate the exact same sequence of events downstream, depending upon the substrates that will be activated when cyclic AMP activates protein kinase A. Go all the way back to the interleukin-2 story and T lymphocytes versus activation of proliferation and the utilization of interleukin-2 as a what? As a transcription factor regulator in T cells, right? Remember that whole story I just went through. So you, so the pharmaceutical companies can't come up with agonists or antagonists simply of adenylate cyclases. It has to be very specific because if you're trying to control tumor genesis versus T cell proliferation, if you're just regulating adenylate cyclases, okay. In, in a global sense, either agonizing or antagonizing it, you could promote tumorogenesis and defeat T-cell activation or vice versa, promote T-cell activation, but also maintain tumorogenic events, see, thus canceling out some of the T-cell activity. The other story would be activating just the T cell, which would be a positive thing as an anti-tumor. And, and let's think about not just T cells, let's think about natural killer cells, right? Yes. You want to activate a natural killer cell, but at the same time, you want to defeat tumor cell division. So that means you have to be very specific about adenylate cyclases. That's why it's so important to be absolutely precise when you're doing methylomic patterning in that osteosarcoma paper to be sure the data that was generated in all that bioinformatics was actually from transcripts that were not in a limited pool for the RT-PCR to recognize what is methylated, what is not methylated, and hypo versus hypermethylation, and the control over cell cycle in the tumor, particularly the osteosarcoma. So the data has to be very well vetted, you understand, okay? So it's the whole reason I got you to this point. Well, there's more reason than that. I wanted to give you how complex metabolism is relative to secondary messenger signaling. And here we only really encountered the cyclic AMP pathway. And I told you there are multiple hormones involved too. Now add that into your conceptual 
landscape. Add that to your uh, faculty of understanding here and your faculty of imagination, which remember is populated by ideas, right? Faculty of understanding populated by concepts which are abstractions of nature whereas the faculty of the imagination that's populated by ideas which are dis specific discrete intuitions or sense data of natural phenomena right you need both of those and the comprehension related to taking both the imagination and the understanding and using them in the process of mentation to come up with full reasoning capability to generate knowledge, right? Which is justified true belief. And remember my criticism of artificial intelligence. There is nothing like that in artificial intelligence because there's no free will and there's no experience. And that's what the human has going all the time, right? Such is how thought can be used to generate experiments to study natural phenomena like we do in authentic biochemistry. Okay, that's all I'm going to do for the second lecture for today. Hopefully that was stimulating and exciting. Remember, stimulating, exciting, and adventuresome because now we're in the month of March. <laughs> all right, Dr. Dan Guerra from Authentic Biochemistry Podcast. The second and last lecture for today, the 1st of March, 2023. Bye for now.